now as we would look into God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of the living God by which we know the Son and the Father, we pray that thou wouldst be present now among us in this afternoon hour as we look into thy word, that we would discover from its pages thy will for us, uh, thy intention for us, and the, the great blessing and comfort that thy word can provide if we are willing to yield to it. We pray for thy presence to be with all those who were, were not able to make it to, to gather with us that would like to have come. Bless them even though they could not be here. Work in the hearts of those that are still running from you, Heavenly Father. And bless those who are preaching thy word in the face of perhaps intense persecution in other parts of the world. We know there are believers who are laying down their lives for thy sake, perhaps even at this very moment. Be with us now, Heavenly Father, and bless thy word unto us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As mentioned already, we have been um, doing a series of Bible studies on the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to read a, a portion out of John's Gospel. found in John chapter 16, starting with the seventh verse. John chapter 16, beginning with verse 7. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for, me, for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father? They said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew 
that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again, a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. I've read including verse 20. Jesus says here a number of shocking things. Perhaps they're not so shocking now that we know what has happened, but if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and listen with their ears to what he said, it certainly must have been very shocking. He says to them, nevertheless, I tell you, it is expedient or it's, it's beneficial or necessary or advantageous to you that I go away. Let's just stop there for a moment and think about that. Who wouldn't like Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, right beside you? If he were here, I would gladly surrender this position and sit right in the front row to listen to every word that he had to say. But Jesus himself said, it's better for us that he go away. Because if he does not go away, the comforter will not come. Therefore, the provision that God has given you right now, if you are a believer in him, the Holy Spirit of God that resides in the heart of every believer that's here, is better for you than Jesus Christ sitting next to you in the pew. Think about that for a moment. If Jesus Christ was sitting right next to you, what would you ask him? What would you ask him to explain to you? What would you ask him to clarify? What would you ask him to tell you about yourself? I like watching interviews with interesting people. And it's a, it's a special delight when the interviewer that's asking the questions is asking intelligent, probing, interesting questions that let you kind of get inside the, the mind of the great person that they may be interviewing. And I think sometimes, you know, what would I ask the Apostle Paul, or what would I ask Jesus himself as we were talking about? What sort of areas of Scripture would I like him to clear up for me? Or what sort of blind spots about myself would I like him to point out to me that I would know that I could become more like him? Would I ask him to review sermons that I've preached and critique them for me? Would I ask him to what he thinks of a certain habit or pastime or entertainment? Think about that. Now, Jesus himself says, it's better for us that the Holy Spirit come than that he be there next to us. So what is stopping us from asking the Spirit those things? 
And do we really want to hear the answer? There is something that happens in the spiritual realm which we don't fully understand. Let me rephrase that. Which we would have difficulty explaining, but we understand. Because when the Spirit of God was going to come, as Jesus said, he was going to do a number of things. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Do you realize that none of those things can be proved with your intellect? Do you realize that the Spirit is going to communicate to you about these things on the spiritual level, not on the intellectual level? Of sin because they believe not on me. We heard it this morning, didn't we? That the master sin, now that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is that once you know who he claimed to be, and you test it, you try to repress it. You repress the truth. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, unless he believe that I am he, he shall die in your sins. Many in this world are familiar with the name of Jesus. They know he was a great teacher. Many know about his claims to be the Son of God. What are you going to do with that? The intellect can grasp certain things, but it, it reaches its limit. I've said it before, it's not unreasonable to believe the gospel, but reason alone will not lead you to believe in the gospel. There is a work that the Spirit of God is going to do, but there's more that he does. Of righteousness, it says, and the commentary from Jesus is, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Why was that important? On Wednesday, we talked about the conscience. The conscience is a very interesting thing. One, because we all have a conscience, barring those that have uh, problems, uh, uh, mental problems and, and are, are, are psychotic, perhaps. But all things being normal, we all have a conscience. That's interesting. The next part that's really interesting is none of us live up to that conscience. Have you considered that? I think we all know what it's like to squelch our conscience. When our conscience tells us to do something or tells us we're behaving badly, we know how to ignore it, don't we? So we understand then that there is a standard for righteousness that we cannot meet. I don't think I've ever met someone who can say, in all honesty, 
everything that my conscience has told me I've done. I can't say that. There's been times when I've been behaving badly, and I know it. My conscience is telling me you're behaving badly here. But in the heat of the moment, I don't want to stop and apologize or change course. It feels good to give in to the anger. Righteousness, because I go to my Father. There's such a blessing in that. One man once said, it was such a liberating thing to find out that I was a hopeless sinner. Because until then, I'd been trying awful hard. Do you realize what a blessing it is to know that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for you? That the qualification of the righteousness of God that we heard about this morning has been met in the only one that it could be met, the Son of God himself? He was the only one to measure up. Proof of that is his resurrection. I've said before, I don't, I, I've read a little bit on the atonement, and it confuses me. What I do know, though, is that the resurrection occurred. And the resurrection shows that the atonement was sufficient. That is the important thing for me. And I rejoice in that. The righteousness of God no longer scares me. Because he has paid it to make a way back for me. He has paid that price that I could not pay. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. We heard about that this morning as well. There is desire in the human heart for judgment, to see judgment done. In fact, a really common way of expressing that nowadays, they borrow from the East, and they use the word karma. And they talk about good karma and bad karma, and how karma pays back. There's something in us that demands that judgment. There's something in us that demands a, a balancing of accounts. The question is, as was mentioned this morning again, Where's the cutoff point? At what point do the scales tip one way or another? We can all perhaps get together and agree that someone like Hitler or Stalin deserves to be burning forever in the lake of fire because of the horrible things that they did. But what about the petty thief? Or what about the almost good person? Where's the cutoff? Again, the righteousness of God is impossibly high, but the good news is it has been met in Jesus Christ, and now the way is open for all. The prince of this world is judged. Evil has been dealt with. The sentence is still to be enforced, but, but the verdict is in. Now we get to choose. Will we appropriate that righteousness that we heard about that has been paid for us? Or will we choose to side with the condemned, with Satan and those that follow him?
The Spirit of, the God, of God will make this clear to you. This, I think, is spiritually discerned. You can argue about a lot of things. But these three things I know, and no man can argue me out of it. There is something in my spirit that cries out for all of these things. And there is a resonance, I think, in every heart. Now it's up to you what to do with that. Do you remember? In Acts 24... 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And Paul reasoned with him from the Torah and explained intellectual proofs and philosophy to him. No, that's not what it says, does it? Verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled. But then he answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The Spirit of God was doing what Christ said he was going to do. He was speaking directly to the Spirit of Felix. And in that moment of nakedness, he trembled when he realized the magnitude of the God that he was dealing with. But then he suppressed the truth. He put it from him. Jesus spoke about an unpardonable sin. He said, whoever speaks a word against the Son or against the Father it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks the word against the Holy Ghost, it will not be forgiven him, not in this world, nor in the world to come. I don't know 100% what that means, but one thing that I think it could mean is this. If it's the job, the duty of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, if you suppress that truth enough, you are given over to a reprobate mind. You are denying the Holy Spirit his work in your heart. And without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. And how will you repent if you no longer even feel the conviction of the Spirit of God? The reason why I say that this has nothing to do, or very little to do, with the intellect of man is because this is the Spirit of God speaking to your spirit. This same Spirit of God can speak to the hearts that are gathered here in this room this afternoon with the same effect that the same Spirit of God can speak to uh, uh, natives in the jungle of Burma or in the, in the highlands of Papua New Guinea or in the sands of Africa with the same effect. And those groups are all lacking our intellectual complexities and our fancy arguments about existence and everything else. But they understand three things. They understand sin, 
They understand righteousness and they understand judgment to come because those are revealed by the Spirit of God. Today, while you have ears to hear, harden not your heart. That is the message from the Spirit of God. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen. Would a brother